0: Oh boy, here we go. Of all the trope genres that ever exist, by far the most popular and infamous has to be anime. Even people who love it won't hesitate to tell you every little thing that gets repeated over and over and over again across the entire industry and genre. And it's a massive turnoff for a lot of people. Besides the gratuitous and creepy perv shots everyone likes drawing, but that's something for another day. So why do these tropes exist? Why are they so common? Is it laziness, or is it just how things work in these parts? We talked about anime tropes for a long time today on Why Are You Talking About This? Nerd. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Waytad Nerd. I'm your host William and I will be your weeb accusation denying guide through the Kafka as Hellscape as anime. And if you know, you know, but I can't imagine that you don't at this point. Uh, before we go any further, I want to thank you so much for listening to the show. It means the world to me to have my words traveling deep into your synapses while you use one eye to read the subtitles. Uh, sub supremacy. Which means different things depending on which community you're in. Anyways, uh, I apologize for getting this episode out a week and two days late. Three days late. uh, Probably by the time you're hearing this. Um, A few weekends ago, I spent a really amazing weekend uh, with my beautiful and awesome girlfriend. uh, After we got snowed in for four fucking days. So, as you can imagine, I was not going to sit on my phone looking at anime tropes when I had my real-life waifu right in front of me. Um, and then subsequently after that, uh, I really underestimated the amount of work this episode was, if I'm being honest, and then I was like, oh yeah, I can just finish this real easy in an afternoon, and then it turned into five afternoons and an entire day, um... And also I got called in work on the weekends. So, <laughs> you know, um, just a, a bit late because of all of that. Um, but hey, uh, if you want me to be able to get episodes out on time more often and also just in general uh, be able to dedicate more time to the show and uh, be able to produce more things, uh, make sure to do all the good old-fashioned content creator pleas for attention. Uh, Like the show, leave a review, show your friends, all that good stuff to help drive support. Um, Also, I have a YouTube channel posting old episodes that will almost be caught up by now. um, And also has the Fireside Chats if you'd like to hear even more of my voice. Um, Make sure to check me out on Spotify. Um, What will soon be YouTube Music instead of Google Podcasts because they're rolling uh, Google Podcasts into... YouTube music, I'm not sure how exactly they're doing that yet, um, so just be on the lookout for uh, for my stuff on there, um, also on Apple Podcasts, uh, and follow my Twitter at waytown underscore pods, um, and I figured I should put all that out in, at the front of the show, um, I'm also considering getting just a more like personal Twitter, because I have shit posts I want to post, and my, and the, the way to Twitter is not the place for that. Um, but yeah, anyways, on to the show. Okay, so like I said in both the introduction and really heavily implied in the show introduction, uh, we're talking about anime today. And to you, weebs who are turning in, f- and to you, weebs who are tuning in for the first time, or you're someone who loves me dearly and also loves anime, I apologize in advance, because while after doing this research, I've come to respect these tropes. I gotta be honest, I'm not sure that I like most of them. Which to those of you who are longtime listeners, this should not come as a shock, because I don't really like when a trope get- gets leaned on. Uh, but my own gripes aside. Uh, This episode's format is going to be a bit different, and you might be asking how so. Well, because the day is just going to kind of be a fun episode. Unlike other episodes, I don't really have some big grand point or narrative I'm trying to brainwash you into believing. Oh, you didn't know that's what was going on? Yeah, that's been the plan the whole time. I'm trying to get you to believe exactly what I believe, without question. Uh, Anyways, this episode is going to be more just like a primer and a guide... Uh, If you want to get into anime and, you know, you, like me, fucking hate the tropiness or you're a weeb that's just curious, this is probably your episode. But before we get into the list, and yes, I know I'm kind of edging you a bit, but holding it a bit longer, it's a long ride. uh, I do just want to give the people who make anime a bit of grace. So let's ask first, why do these tropes exist in the first place? And this falls really into four reasons. First, is that anime takes a long time to produce. I mean, think about it, they're pretty detailed pieces of art when they aren't moving. But even though the animation industry has changed over the years and computers have taken a bigger and bigger part of it, each frame still takes a fuckload of time to make. Which means that it takes forever to make even a few seconds of animation of that level of detail, especially compared to the more stylized cartoons and animation, and you need to find ways to make the process easier and compress things that would take a bunch of extra frames to produce. Secondly, anime is heavily influenced by Japanese culture. I mean, no shit, right? Well, a big reason why a lot of these tropes will exist is because they're important or they're relatable in Japan. And don't worry, when those come up, I'll point those out. Uh, Third, anime generally has a limited time frame to tell their story, meaning they have to condense some things. What do I mean by that? Well, in general, an episode of anime lasts somewhere in the 23-minute mark. And this is largely because if it aired on TV, it'd need to fit within a 30-minute time block, including just under 8 minutes for ads. Of course, this isn't the case for streamed anime, but at this point, we've all gotten used to 30-minute episodes for these shows, and the industry is built for that meaning that a standard workflow and deadlines, it's, it's not really feasible to make longer episodes. And finally, anime has the unique restriction that most of it is based off of manga or are a literal translation of the manga to the screen. And because anime has a short turnaround compared to manga, they often catch up to where the manga is before new issues can come out, meaning that they have to stretch the content they do have without breaking the story, the bank, or making their employees go postal. So a lot of these tropes are also kind of artificial plot extensions. So with that, let's jump into it. Beginning with character archetypes. And these exist in most forms of entertainment, but in anime they tend to come across as more pronounced. And this is intentional because it makes the process of writing a lot easier, and is built upon the same foundation of things like 16th century plays in Italy. Oh, I'm sorry, you don't know Italian or literature history? Well, basically, it was popular to have characters be very specific archetypes, because there's something that is easy for an audience to grasp, but you don't really need to explain the character's role in the story, and can get to, you know, telling the story. And yes, I did just make that comparison, and no, that's not a compliment to either medium. I mean, they're basically just a shorthand to tell the audience what to expect. That, and anime is fucking expensive to produce, so you need to have something an audience of very horny young men, an audience with a lot of money and zero game, will relate to. And if, you're, if you've ever been around very horny young men, you'd understand that there's not really the cognitive capacity to understand very, very complex and deep characterization. Especially if that very complex and deep characterization has large boobs. Okay, so the first category of character archetypes we have is the dumb and helpless. Uh, This category are basically all the characters that are generally really stupid or just bad at living. Or both. And this would include the Aho, uh, which literally means dumb, and carefree, and entirely lacking self-awareness or common sense. But like in a cute way, like, like a child. Or if you like a little bit of both dumb and helpless, you have the Chunibayu. Someone that has a grand delusion that they know everything, are omni-capable, and that some part of their body, of theirs, I mean, what the fuck, has almost unimaginable power that they are not able to to contain. This is the dude that buys in the Sigma male memes. Um, but this is usually meant to be someone cringy, and they're usually played off as a joke. Oh, and also, it, it basically translates to middle school syndrome, because most people go through this phase around 13 years old. And for a slice of just straight up helplessness to even us out, we have the Damiko. Uh, these are characters that waste their lives on their vices, like watching porn and anime all day, and force other people to care for them out of guilt or pity. So you. But, I mean, unlike you, they're meant to be the joke. Next is the Donkan, who isn't necessarily a big stupid idiot, but they fit into this category. While most people find them annoying, generally this trope is used for some combination of comedy and tragedy. And what's their big thing, you ask? Well, they take everything literally and are very thick of head and dumb of ass. Like, someone can confess their love to them and beg to give them head while tearing at their own clothes in desperation, and this motherfucker will stand there and think it's a joke. They're really oblivious to emotions and either take everything way too literally or just as something silly to say. And finally, we have the Hetare, who are basically this category turned up to 11. Hitare are almost entirely helpless and need someone to do everything either for them, or be constantly supervised, or they will find a way to kill themselves with it. Alright, and then we have the next category, Genderbender. Yeah, anime does this one a lot, and you're already picturing a character, and odds are, you're not sure if your dick is supposed to be hard, but it absolutely is. So the first one is the Bifalxenen. Um, which comes from the Japanese Bashaunin and the French Faut. Um Also, uh, Faux. F- fucking, fuck me. Um, also, I am going to apologize about my pronunciation. I found a, a guide a long time ago on how to pronounce Japanese simply with, like, a very clear, fucked-up English accent. Um, I'm going to be trying to do that. It's not always going to work. Like, when they put a fucking French word in the middle of it, uh, but anyways, so the, the term basically means a woman that looks like a cute guy, which, as you can imagine, is meant to make everyone but us bi's, poly's, and pans very, very sexually confused. For us, though, this is the best of both worlds. And like the idiot, this one is usually used for comedy. Second is the bakuko, which is a female character using male pronouns. Now, this does not mean misgendering a trans character. Let's do a little language lesson. You see, Japanese uses gendered first-person pronouns, but these don't have to necessarily line up with your actual gender. They're just supposed to. And there, there's more to that, but my god, this episode's long enough. I did not have time to dig into Japanese pronunciation rules, but just in general, you're supposed to stay to the assigned gender roles. Um, But in this context, usually this is a shorthand for a tomboy, but can also be a gender-ambiguous, femme-presenting character, or someone who's entirely unaware of social norms. And related to this is the oriko, uh, which is a female character with traditionally masculine ideals, personality traits, and outlooks on life. And yes, yes I know, fellow queers and like trans people and stuff, this might seem a bit binary, but keep in mind that most of Japan is pretty socially conservative, so shit like this is gonna happen. And then finally, on the other end of the spectrum, we have the Atenoko, uh, which is just your traps and femboys. And yes, I can see who you're thinking of, you fucking perv, and you're right, he's hot. I agree. Next, we have the cutesy. And these are the character archetypes and traits meant to portray a character as just being really cute and this is going to be almost entirely in the romantic way um and this one is also going to be long and you will see why in a moment uh but first is the bakako which google keeps wanting to correct to either babaduke or bukake when i look it up and i think that says more about me than it does google but this means literally servant girl but as someone who sets aside their own emotions and moral qualms to serve their master unquestioningly, and while this can be used for platonic things, it usually ends up in usually ends up getting used as romance bait, where one of the two is madly in love with the other, but they won't say it because they either feel duty bound to not fuck their master or to feel like they're manipulating their servant. Second, and this is the big one, is the dare trope which is basically someone that expresses their affection for another character in some way, coming from the term dere-dere, which means lovey-dovey. Uh, and this also can refer to characters that you really want to stick your wiener in, or uh, rub... Uh, rub um I'm trying to think of a meat pun here that's not just absolutely fucking disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of impossible <laughs> with with vaginas. You know, slap them together. Um, this would include the Bakadaries who become stupid around their around their love interests, Boderes, that get violent, Bajokidaries that are that are sickly that need to be taken care of and usually end up dead, uh, Donderes, that are extremely shy, Duraaries are someone that shows boredom and indifference to everyone but their love interest, Daredaries uh, is someone who's very open with their affection, Doroaries. ...is someone that is fucking insane... ...but not in the stabby way... Uh, ...Hajidere... Uh, ...that almost instantly faint... ...when their lover is in the air... that think they're royalty... ...and usually get treated like it... Uh, ...may or may not by the person... ...that they are in love with... ...Hinadere's that are sarcastic pessimists... ...Kamedere's are dairies with a god complex... kan Deres ...are gold diggers... ...that like you if you have money... And holy shit, there's a fuck ton of these, goddamn. Uh, Kudere are love interests that only show emotion to the one that they're into. Mayaderes are villains that fall for the protagonist that eventually become a hero. Nyan. Neanderes act like a cat, and yes, that's where all the girls in junior high got it. Sadoderes are sadists that either toy with your feelings or are physically abusive. You stay the fuck away from them in real life. They are not in love with you. Get the fuck away from them. You know what? I'm, hold on. I'm walking away from the script for a second. If you are pursuing someone, or they are pursuing you, and they are sadistic and like to see you in pain, you need to not be near them. You need to find an adult. And I don't care if you're 37 years old. You need right now. Stop listening to the show. Pick up the phone. Call your mom. Call your mom. Okay. <laughs> uh, Sundares and Thugderes are hard ass, tough, and intimidating characters that are either distant, harsh, or turned to goo for their loved ones. I think that one's one of my favorites. I I like the like tough hard ass that turns into like a lovey mess for the the person that they're in love with um underes are people who can't say no to the person they love utsuderes are suspicious and paranoid pessimists they're still lovable and holy goddamn. okay and then there's the yandere that's a murderous lover that kills people out of extreme jealousy and then finally for this list is the yodere who is someone that gets a lovey-dovey when they're drunk And yes, there's a lot of those. There's not a test. But the reason why is because animators know their audience and know that what us lonely anime nerds love is someone who loves us and is weird, like us. Next is the doshiko, uh, meaning someone who's clumsy, particularly a cute girl. And the reason why this one is... Here, instead of dumb and helpless, is because in Japan, uh, clumsiness is cute and endearing, rather than being funny like it is in the Western world. Um, then we have the kawaiko, uh, which is a character that is cute and childish. Uh, and this is the exception to the category's romantic implication, because while for an adult character, or at least are in the age range of the main character, this can be romantic, that usually isn't the case. Uh, you're more just supposed to like them because they remind you of a younger sibling. Although, again, anime is weird, so if you find a counterexample, then congratulations. I've already called the FBI. Getting back to the romance, we have the final one, the Oshou-sama, which is a stereotypically graceful and regal woman, usually wearing traditional clothing. Uh, included here is the Yamato Nadashiko, uh, who is a physical manifestation of, Jap- of who is a physical manifestation of Japanese traditional femme beauty? And fucking gag me with a spoon. Sorry, I don't know if you can tell by um, literally every episode of every show that I've ever produced, and also every time that I've talked about uh alt women ever. I don't, I'm not, I'm not into like mainstream, (laughs) mainstream like, oh, she's the perfect woman because she shuts the fuck up and cleans and cooks. I, I fucking hate that shit. Um, okay, so next we have the weirdos, my kind of people, uh, being everyone whose primary character trait is that they're not like us and therefore you should spit on them as you pass them in the streets. Uh, I mean, not really. Usually they're just like, kind of just out there. Or concerning, I guess, depending on how you feel about weirdos and emos and stuff. So, firstly, is the chugo... uh, This is one of those... uh, Chugo kai... kai Kaiyo, who are people who are weebs but for other cultures. uh, Particularly Asian cultures, and particularly out of those Asian cultures, Chinese cultures. Which is not too surprising, considering the proximity... Uh, but you can imagine they're largely treated in the same way the Weeps are treated here, and I don't mean you, anime enjoyer. The bench is 950 pounds on a bad day. I mean you, the dude jerking off while staring at a boyfu figure of a Salvo and planning to one day go to Japan because you think real life is like anime. Uh, the Hasuke is the smarty pants inventor, and you might be asking, why are they on this list? Well, because they are constantly tinkering with stuff and are usually socially an island. Uh, they're pretty likely to be one of those gosh darn donkans. Uh Next is the Harapeko Kishara. Um, and these fuckers, they just love to stuff their goddamn face. Like, to a concerning degree. To an amount at such a speed that Lovecraft himself would be instantly sent to psychotic fit besides the fact that he, a flaming racist, was anywhere near an Asian person. And these people will usually come across as rude when they eat because they ignore most, if not all, table manners. There's also... Uh, then there's the Kimo-Iko, uh, who you should relate to pretty hard since you're listening to this. Uh, they're basically the weirdos and outcasts with strange thoughts or ideas. And usually when someone shows even the barest hint of interest towards them, they develop dependency issues and will not stop talk about all the weird shit that they've been begging for a chance to divulge. And yikes, that's a call out for both of us. And finally, another big call out to you is the otaku, uh, which is an anime character that is obsessed with anime, manga, hentai, cosplay, and gaming. I'm mean, fucking meta, I know, but this isn't some weird like, oh well, they're obsessed with live action stuff. And to them, it's anime. No, they're obsessed with, like, the anime that's in the anime that they're in. hold it together and don't unravel yet, you're not an anime, you're a real person. If you were, no one would watch it. I mean, who would want to watch a slice of life drama where you don't get any bitches? Okay, and next we have The Big Horny. These are characters designed almost entirely because the creators know who their audience are and what they want. The first is the Arona. Which means sexy lady. Uh, And this is just the kind of character. And this is kind of just the kind of character that's an older female character. That's extremely sexy to their target audience. And by older I mean like late 20s and older. Because the target audience for a lot of anime is like 13 to 24 year old boys and men. Uh, Basically this is the desire that a lot of guys around this age have for a big titty Sexy woman that they can fuck that basically takes care of them like they're their mom. Yeah, Freud would have a fucking field day. Next is the Maso, who are masochists. In other words, they get turned on from getting hurt or degraded. Yeah, anime is weird. Usually when this is a female character, it's meant to be a quote-unquote joke. But, uh, yeah, they're not slipping one by me. I know what they're doing. Next is the Nisotoshi, um which is the 1,000-year-old dragon trope. And if you're not familiar with that, it's when a character looks concerningly young for people to be talking about them the way that they are, and the creator justifies it by saying that, well, you see, in actuality, it's just their human form, and their true dragon form is really 1,000 years old. Yep, that's what it's called. That, it, that's the name of the trope. Uh, and personally... Uh, really fucking gross and scary that this happens so often, and is also often so horny that it has its own name. <sighs> fucking gross. Uh, and finally is the sukebe, Uh, who are. I pronounced that real fucking wrong. I'm not going to correct myself. Uh, if you can speak Japanese, how about you email me and correct me, and I will promptly put an episode and then not change my behavior? How about that? <laughs> so this Sukebe are perfect. Uh, this is actually kind of a common trope in uh, harem anime uh, where the femme version of this is a seductive and flirty character that wants to rub some deli meat together with one of the protagonist's harem like your least favorite sandwich shop uh, or that the image that I conjured to mind is like a subway like a subway deli like not not like I'm not calling subway a deli I mean like a deli that's set up like a subway and it's a very very large like fat man with very very hairy arms wearing no shirt <laughs> wearing no shirt and apron <laughs> rubbing the deli meat together while staring at you like he's try- trying to entice you to buy a sandwich um <laughs> I think that was the image I had in mind too when I, when I wrote that but uh Okay, anyways. Um, or they want to seduce the protagonist but not join the harem, which that's a sin um, according to harem anime laws. Um, and the mask form of this trope uh, is being a big ol' pervert, just trying to get his dick wet, and the uh, protagonist will usually end up intercepting them. Uh, usually by accident. Sometimes it's on purpose. Okay, so next we have the sibling tropes. Which is just Kind of just how it sounds. First is the Amautu. Imau- imau- oh, shit. Fuck my dick and balls. Uh, first is the amauto, which means little sister. Uh, and this is usually not your literal sister, but is a girl that acts like your little sister. And there's some, like, weird incest vibes with this one. Or, like, weird, like, oh, we're just like brother and sister. We're not related by blood, though, so it's totally okay if we fuck each other. Like, there's some weird vibes. And, uh, yeah, anime is weird. Um, but there are three forms of these. Type A's are clingy and affectionate. Type B's are cute and protectable. And Type C's are airheaded and kind of stupid. I'm sorry, again, I... It has to be because it's 1.30 in the fucking morning when I'm recording this. But just cute and protectable makes me think of the, like, plap, plap, plap meme. But instead of, <laughs> instead of saying get pregnant, it's, it's get protected. I, <laughs> my brain is a hellscape that I cannot escape from. Um, you're lucky you can turn off the podcast whenever you're afraid of what my brain does. I can't. The when I'm not recording this podcast, the podcast is going on in my brain. Um <laughs> Okay, uh next are the Onisan or Onisan, and yeah, I know it's pronounced the same way, but you know, while writing it it's annoying me only writing it once. Um and this is either your literal older sibling or someone filling the role. Uh, Type A's are super supportive and protective, and are usually loud and boisterous, i.e. annoying. Uh, Type B's are bling hard asses that want the best for you, so they act like a piece of shit to uh, toughen you up for the real world, which, that's not how family's supposed to work. And uh, Type C's are caregivers and caretakers that act more like your parent than they do your sibling, which is usually tragic in some way. Uh, And finally is the Ototo, uh, who is your younger brother. Uh, type A's are good to their older siblings and trust them, and can also rein them in on some of, like, their craziness, which can either be really tragic or really sweet depending on the story, and type B's are the kind that lash out at their sibling, and, again, could be tragic or, ende- or endearing depending on the exact story you're going for. And then finally, are like the kind of miscellaneous in the plot ones. Uh, this doesn't really have a name, but more of like a vibe. So first we have the Haragoru, uh, who is someone two-faced that will give up anything for their goals. They are nice on the outside, but evil on the inside. Uh, and if you know people like that, don't call them that, you fucking weeb. Also, don't call me that. I know I've been a meanie. I know I've been mean to you this episode, but it's because I'm a Sundere and not a piece of shit. Okay? It's not like I like you or anything. Uh, next is the Ijimeko, um, which are the bullies that you see a lot in the shoujo genre, uh, but they appear in other stuff too. Uh, and usually after the hero uh, gets them to have a heart-to-heart with them, they soften up a bit and they usually end up becoming a friend or an ally. Uh, Next is the Osana Najimi, uh, which is a selfless, patient, and kind childhood friend that puts their friendship over everything, which is usually used as, like, the close ally to your protagonist that may or may not have a case of either the not-gays or the very, very very-gays for them. Um, Then we have the two sides of the same coin in the Shaozhou and Shaounen. Um, who are usually the protagonists in shoujo and shonen genres, respectively. Shaozhou uh, are kind-hearted, energetic optimists, while shonen are loud, careless, horny, love to eat, and have a strong sense of justice. So, you know, very much like uh, your stereotypical teenage girl, teenage boy, who are good kids. Okay, that's all for the character archetypes. Are you tired yet? Do you need a cigarette and some Gatorade, or are you ready for more? Uh, If you aren't, you can pause, but I am not stopping yet because I don't have the choice. I'm stuck in podcast land. You're not. Um, And we're going to go to something uh, else related to characters, Uh, but this one is the character design. Don't worry, this one's probably going to be a bit shorter. Uh, In general, these tropes are used to tell you something about the character with a design feature without outright telling you. Uh, This saves a lot of time and helps cut down already extremely common exposition. And also, uh, most of the ones I'm going to share are hair. Because for the most part, stuff like heterochromia being covered in scars or having titanic titties are kind of the same in Japan as they are in the West. Uh, But before we get to hair, uh, let's talk about the ones that aren't. Starting with skirt length, then fucking here we go again. Okay, so in a metatextual sense, the reason why you put characters in short skirts are kind of twofold. Again, they know their audience and know even the chance of seeing underwear is going to make a nerd cream their jorts. And also, let's be honest, legs are pretty hot. Uh, also, in general, the shorter the skirt, the more it's supposed to represent youthfulness and innocence, which is uh, really the opposite of it here in the U.S. Uh, regardless, having shorter or longer skirts is also meant to mark both the carefreeness and the social position of the person in question. Uh, the modern day, with short skirts being popular, the shorter the skirt, the cooler, more popular, and more carefree. Well, if it was an older anime or an anime set in the 60s the 80s, a long skirt would be the skirt worn by the rebellious and popular girls. Yeah, skirt politics. Teenagers are fucking crazy and also a goddamn nightmare. I'll tell you, unless you get really unlucky, no one's going to treat you as bad as they uh, as they do when you're a teenager. Because by the time you hit, like, 20 to 24, most people who are alive, who do not have, like, Something fucked up in their head have been through some bullshit enough to, like, really not care anymore and just want to get through the day without shooting themselves in the fucking head. Uh... <laughs> that's not concerning. Don't call my therapist. I'll be real cross with you if you do. <laughs> uh... Also, uh, having a short skirt on your uh, badass female fighters is a reference back to Sailor Moon, um, where they were all uh, badass warrior women in short skirts. So it's used in fighting or combat-focused anime as kind of like a sign that a female character is serious or is getting serious about this fight because now she's in the goddamn Sailor Moon outfit and she's going to whoop some fucking ass. Another important aspect about character design is the pitch of your character's voice. In general, this denotes where on the line of cute to badass you're supposed to see them. Like a femme character with a deep voice is supposed to be a hard-ass or a tomboy, and also mommy. Uh, while for mass characters, they're meant to be intimidating, manly, or badass. I'm not going to say it. Note the difference there, also. Uh, meanwhile, high pitch femme characters are supposed to be soft and cute, while mass characters are meant to be silly or dumb. Let me tell you, they are silly and dumb, and a lot of them are also cute. Um, the joy the joy of being queer. Uh, again, note the difference there. Um, also, in general, you'll pitch shift a character to denote their age. Like, a very old, manly, badass warrior will have a very deep voice, and the cute daughter of the protagonist you're supposed to want to protect until she tragically gets RKO'd by a truck will have a very high-pitched voice. Just right out of nowhere. Uh, There's also the character having very weird powers or weapons. And again, this happens for a few reasons. Primarily because it's just fucking cool. uh, And the people who write the manga and produce the anime know that. So a lot of these things are created purely for entertainment or ridiculousness. And it's also really fucking cool to see something in the manga that's very complex and fucking a mind fuck to try and figure out how it moves and when the anime is released seeing it actually move is even cooler uh, it also shows off your animation talent the other reason is because these crazy designs can again say with me tell you a lot about the character does your character wield a hammer that's literally a limestone brick bigger than their entire body well they probably aren't that subtle they use a pair of war fans that can knock you on your ass harder than the air coming out of Snoop Dogg and Bruce and Bruce Springsteen's RV Hotbox session that they had. Well, they're probably involved in some form of martial arts, and therefore probably some form of enlightenment. Let me tell that story is fucking wild, by the way. Uh, I think it was Bruce Springsteen. Um, he and Snoop Dogg uh, smoke weed together in an rv or in a in a trailer backstage and stoop Dogg passed the fuck out like he he's talked about like yeah no the old man uh we were going like joint for joint like notice not hit for hit joint for joint stoop Dogg passed the fuck out and bruce was still smoking he woke up and he was still smoking he had smoked more fucking crazy. That's what I call enlightenment. That's getting close to God. Um, Okay, and the last one before the hair, and I keep getting distracted, uh, is the generic protagonist trope. Now, while at first you might be wondering how this is a trope and not bad writing, I want you to stop for a second and think. How many animes have the same basic-ass dude as the main character? That's intentional because by having a generic and largely inoffensive male lead with short brown or black hair, a normal eye color, and mild-mannered and just generally kind of a little shitty at everything and in a dead-end situation, you suddenly have a character that a massive audience can relate to. And while it's mostly for the Japanese audience, a lot of Americans can relate as well, which means that this serves the purpose of getting you way more deeply invested without as much effort as it would normally take. Also, a lot of this is wish fulfillment, because this character's traits that make them generic and boring end up being the secret superpowers, or they have some kind of super powerful ability that, uh, because they have to deal with such a boring and stressful life. Okay, so let's stop fucking around and get to the hair. Uh, which is what my hairstylist said to me the last time I was in. I explain why I'm banned. Uh, let me tell you, uh, she was not expecting me to be able to jump that high. Anyways, why hair? Well, because think about drawing a character. Sure, you can create something fairly unique if you're trying to do a very realistic drawing, but anime is stylized. Very intricate and artistic, obviously. I'm not. Don't get out of your torches and pitchforks. But it's stylized. So when you remove the hair and clothes, you fucking pervert, most characters end up looking largely the same. Uh, so. So, to differentiate them, especially at distance or in silhouette, you need to give them unique hair. Okay, so, arguably, more important than style is the color. Man, that really sounded like a Lovecraft quote. Uh, anyways, so, black or brown hair is used for characters that are supposed to come across as quote-unquote normal. Given that, you know, it's a pretty standard hair color. Uh, yellow and blonde hair is used for female characters to note that she's unique or important. Which is a little gross if you know what the fuck is up, Kyle. Uh, But also, just in general, is meant to represent a clumsy, bumbling, and/or foreigner character. Which, yeah, I'm not even gonna be mad about. You've all seen the Logan Paul video. Uh, Red hair symbolizes someone wild, passionate, irrational, or combative. Just like in the West. If you know a redhead, it's true. Gingers are feral raccoons poorly piloting a mechanical suit. Like, really poorly. Uh, sometimes I can tell. Uh, blue hair means someone ethereal, mysterious, and or magical. Sorry, I'm imagining, because I know some redheads, I'm imagining one of them tuning into the show because they want to be supportive. And just getting to that part. (laughs) And and coming to my address. (laughs) Because, you know, they need to, like, silence me. Because, you know, they can't let the world know that they're just a bunch of raccoons piloting a mechanical suit. Uh... But anyway, so lighter the blue hair, the more the magic. Huh. That almost sounds dirty. Uh, Pink hair is meant to represent someone young, childish, gullible, or naive. Purple is meant to show someone in high social standing or with a lot of persona and power. Green is meant to represent someone comedic and overly excitable, but it's not super used that that much anymore. Uh, And finally is white, which denotes someone who's mysterious and or incredibly powerful. I mean, already, you can kind of see it coming together, right? I mean, think about the hair colors of some of your favorite characters and what that says about you on a personal level. Really stew in it, let it define your life for the next couple years. Okay, now we move on to style. So, firstly, we have sideburns. When a male character has sideburns, it's meant to represent male power and having incredible capacities. And this one you can actually kind of find in female characters. Not with, like, actual facial hair, but with hair to either side of their face, like sideburns, um, which usually means that they're kind of masculine, or in other words, capable. Remember, Japan is pretty conservative. Next is the ponytail, which is also gendered and kind of racist. So, for a woman, the ponytail represents a mature motherly figure, or literally means that they're a mom. See every emotional flashback in every anime ever where the mom inevitably dies. Men with a low ponytail is meant to indicate they're Chinese, and that's a racism because I'm not sure why you had to specify that. that's uh, like, you know, in American cartoons when a character that's meant to be Mexican come in wearing a sombrero and eating tacos and, like, the, like, weirdly like, generic Hispanic music plays in the background for half a second. Um, or if they're a dude with a high ponytail, since Samurai had those, it's meant to represent someone with good battle instincts. Uh, twin tails, or pigtails, are meant to represent childish, immaturity, or foolishness, and could either be meant to be charming or obnoxious, depending on the exact character. Then there's the Hime cut, or the princess cut, Uh, which is straight bangs across the forehead and long hair in the back. And this represents traditional, dignified, and quiet femininity. Uh, This one is also often inverted, where a fucking crazy person is given a Hime cut to really show that they are a fucking whack job, uh, because they have the haircut meant to make you look like a dignified woman, and she's still fucking crazy. Uh, next are ringlets, which just represent being high class and wealthy or having a high social status. Uh, then there's the ahogue, uh which is a single lock of hair at the front of the head that stands up, which is meant to represent that someone is weird or an idiot. Uh, the odongo uh, are two buns on the top of the head, which represents someone Chinese or interested in Chinese culture. I don't know why you have to specify that. That feels a little racist. Uh, very, very long hair is meant to represent either being incredibly beautiful or primally masculine. Oh yeah, you know that smells like balls. The hair antenna are long strands of hair standing up on end, which is similar to the ahoge, but this one means like a likable idiot. Uh, you know, a good kid, just not all there mentally. The short hair on a femme character denotes a tomboy. Um, and or one that's good for traditionally masculine roles that's uh, mommy uh, while for male characters it's meant to represent someone normal the second to last is the short afro which represents a troublemaker or gangster and I know you're American so what you're thinking is that it's racist but no this isn't really a racism instead the short afro became very popular in the 1980s in Japan amongst gay- gangsters uh, the motherfucking Yakuza, especially. And since the Yakuza are some of the scariest human beings on the fucking planet, uh, the hairstyle took off as a symbol of being a gangster, and since it's been used in anime for basically the same purpose. So, not racist specifically. Um, anyways, uh, the last one is the shonen hair, being the classic Yu-Gi-Oh look. spiky. Unrealistic, fucking wild, and stupid hairstyles, they're just meant to look cool and unique. And this is almost entirely seen in shonen since they can get away with it. And most shonen characters nowadays have this kind of hair because it's kind of the only way to differentiate your characters from all the other ones. So, you know, now you are basically ready to design your own shonen character. But before you do that, we're on to the next group of tropes, uh, which are visual language tropes, which are just meant to convey something either kind of complicated or hard to animate without using words and some fairly simple techniques and doodles. Also, a lot of these reduce the detail of characters and scenes, which lets them to be drawn easier. And also, there's a lot of visual gags too. I take a sip of water. I keep that throat healthy and lubed up. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Wish I did not say that into a hot microphone. Am I going to keep that sound bite? Probably not. Uh, so the first are abstract backgrounds, which shows what the mood of the character or scene is, depending on the image, color, and light source. Like uh, dark colors for something that fucking sucks or is sickening. Uh, light colors are usually for good emotions. Flowers for love, friendship, or swooning. Uh, spirals and gears for someone being confused or trying very hard to figure something out and not getting anywhere. Uh, or waves for irritation. Um, all this can also be used for a joke, which is also fairly common. a uh, similar way, a character having a blank face or no eyes isn't just the animator's taking a day off to strike or some horrifying new abomination. It's actually a way to demonstrate emotion, and not the animator's emotion. Although, maybe. A character whose face goes blank, is in shadow or other colors, or is covered by lines, is literally losing face. They feel humiliated, They feel humiliated or are losing other people's respect or losing respect for other people. Uh, Or they're doing something embarrassing or dumb. And then there's the chibis, which are small-bodied and large-headed cutesy versions of the characters. Uh, They're meant to break up serious moments or punctuate a moment of comedy or lightheartedness or cuteness. Uh, Sometimes, too, some parts of the characters will get chibified, which sounds like a horrifying process to go through, by the way, uh, when they're doing something cute or they're trying to use their cuteness to get their way. Uh, it also sometimes is used to represent someone's inner child. Also, it makes me a little happy inside because I, I just pictured... Uh, uh, I just I just pictured the Ancient Magist's Bride with that one. There's a lot of chibi art uh, of, of them... And like it is so fucking adorable. My girlfriend likes sending me those. And I think it's very cute. And this is definitely not me asking her to keep sending me those. Uh, there's I've gone soft. I've been nerfed by I've been nerfed by love. Um <laughs> uh, there's also a ton of these that are meant to be like additional details and aren't really intrusive. Um because, you know, like the chibi can be really intrusive to me. Uh, it, it's a big reason why I, I didn't like anime for a long time, cause uh, the chibis. Okay, so first we have the arrow piercing, which is just a simple, like, monochromatic arrow hitting the character either in the head or the heart, showing a character is intellectually or emotionally in pain. Uh, blank white eyes indicate a character is shocked or stunned. Fangs show that a character is being a silly little guy and they are being mischievous. Sparkle clouds mean something clean, nice, beautiful, or attractive, and I can imagine could represent all four at the same time in hentai. Uh, If you're especially a fucking weirdo that describes pussy as clean. um, That's not me saying it's dirty. That's me saying you should never use... Oh, you got a clean pussy. is dirty talk. That's fucking weird. (laughs) Exaggerated teardrops or streams of tears to note that a character is comedically in pain or sad with the more tears the funnier, which I know sounds cruel, and it is, but trust me, they're usually being melodramatic about something. Uh, Color-drained characters, also called paper cutouts sometimes, uh, means the characters in shock, are exhausted, or are depressed, which is, again, usually used for comedy, as when a character is embarrassed or is just entirely done with life and needs help. Speaking of comedic, there's also the dramatic spotlight, which is a gag used for a character being melodramatic in general. Electric lines and sparks represent that a character is having an idea, but between two people, unlike in the West, this doesn't mean an attraction, or these characters about to be inside of each other. It means a rivalry or antithesis, which is the same if it's dividing between two people. Eye twinkles show love, desire, and attraction, or joy, at someone or something. Falling wash tubs are used for the same effect as the falling anvil in Western animation, usually in response to a bad joke a misunderstanding being cleared up in a comedic way, or something cringy happening. Uh, a ghost coming out of someone's mouth or nose also means that someone is unconscious and is usually used in response to someone's cringe or bad joke. And again, the same is true for the whole like thing where everyone just face plants out of nowhere. Uh, a character waving with their arms so fast that it looks like they have multiple arms is again, not an eldritch abomination being formed before your eyes but represents agitation, impatient, or being way too energetic. Then there's the old man face, which is pretty self-explanatory and actually not something I noticed until this episode, weirdly enough. Uh, but this means that someone who's trying to be serious is super fucking tired or is in complete another shock and horror. And by old man, I mean take one of those oil paintings of a samurai and crop out the face and then paste it on the character's face, and that's what it usually ends up looking like. I know weird that I never noticed that, but I thought that that was just anime being weird. Um, also, this is usually done to children, which is funny to me because if you've ever been around kids, basically any context, you can tell when the gears are really fucking cranking they're noggin because they get the the look on their face that looks like this. Or they're shitting themselves. I mean, it's kind of 50-50. Okay, so next is the vein popping, which is uh, four curved lines facing each other to form a cross, which represents anger. The larger, the angrier. That's what she said, I, I guess. I don't know. I It sounded kind of dirty. Uh, pouting and puckering lips means discontentment. A little air bubble means exasperation. Snot bubbles represent sleep or sleepiness, and when it pops, the person wakes up. And this one in particular is really useful because it's kind of hard to demonstrate someone is asleep in animation without motion, since they just kind of look dead. And it's also hard to show someone faking sleep. So having this makes it very clear who's asleep and who isn't, but it's usually more lighthearted or used for someone who's a loud sleeper or fell asleep unexpectedly. Sleep uh, speed lines are still used sometimes, but an older anime it was used to note motion to get around having a small budget. Uh, Nowadays, it's used to represent particularly intense motions. Uh, Spiral eyes means being confused or overwhelmed. A sweat drop, which, trust me, would be over my head right now with the spirally eyes. As I'm writing this, the day after the deadline, not even halfway done, will have goddamn work on a fucking Saturday. Uh, Represents worry or exasperation, increasing in size and more exaggerated. Uh, Right now, mine is bigger than my head. Man, me yesterday was really going through it. Trust me. It doesn't get better. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, uh, um, and if they are flying off, it means they're panicking or rushing, which again, is me. The tiny dot eyes demonstrate fear, confusion, or being overwhelmed and worried, and holy goddamn fucking hell, I'd be an anime mess right now. Uh, if you're listening and mad at me, trust me, I'd like to get this out on time too. Uh, rounded lines with cross lines are meant to represent background noise, laughing, and chatting to kind of fill out a scene without adding a bunch of random chattering. Uh, Sparkle marks, usually over someone's eyes or forehead, mean someone bragging or finishing something. Pun-pun, which I think is a cute name, are little cloud pops that poof from someone's head to represent anger or sulking. And finally for this type are lightning marks coming from the head for anger or scolding. Alright, and the next set are the horny things. And this is when we have to talk about an undeniable piece of female character design and uh, visual language in anime. The over-sexualized female character. Uh, anime is full of massive titties, tiny waists, panty shots, thigh shots, and a whole fuck ton of groping and nudity. Now, while I think this should change in the future, and still should continue to change now... And it has in a lot of genres. It's still common, uh, but I will say it's more respectfully done now. Uh, Leering is meant to be creepy and weird, and sexy female characters tend to be at least a little bit respected. Um, However, it happens because, for one, titties and ass are fun to draw. Um, Also, creators have waifus too, and if they have to change and they have the chance, uh, a lot of them will want to draw them. Also, again, anime's target audience are 13 to 24-year-old boys and men that have time to binge, and a desire to watch. So they're probably lonely and horny. And how do you attract that group? Titties, ass, and fondling. Uh, But with that, let's talk about the horny visual language, starting with the perverted little man. And no, not you. See, this is when a male character is being especially pervy, they get replaced with a small, childlike, or chibi-like simplification of their design with old man face to note that they're being a dumb little baby man. Which I think is actually a pretty valuable lesson to sneak in there. Uh, being a perv outside of a joke everyone is cool with, um, or with a partner that thinks it's cute or hot, just makes you look like a dumbass. Don't do that. Take it from me, I know from experience, I've said some cringe uh, next would be the exploding clothes trope. Yeah, anime is weird. This is either fan service or badass, depending on, admittedly, the gender. Uh, for women, their clothing tends to get shredded at the slightest provocation in just about any fan anime, like they're wearing slightly moist tissue paper. I said moist on purpose because the people that hate the word moist I think is funny. I'm going to keep saying moist. Moist. Sorry, if you can't tell, it's two in the fucking morning, and I'm losing it. (laughs) Um, uh, Uh, For men, usually their clothes get shredded off when they flex or sustain a hit uh, to demonstrate their strength and power, as their raw muscle mass just makes their clothing goddamn explode. Of course, in more woke anime or anime that has some femboys with a queer audience, or just in general, an audience that enjoys some male fan service or muscle mommies, uh, this can happen the other way as well, which I think is fair. Next is the sensor steam or light, which is meant to block the viewer's line of sight, but not usually the other characters in the room. This can also be a shadow or conveniently placed furniture. And this is meant to censor stuff so you can have your horny and eat it too. I think that's how that phrase goes. But, this can also be used to cut costs in more adult anime that normally show nudity. Uh, related to this is doll anatomy where you don't draw the genitals or nipples um, so that you can get away with full frontal nudity without getting bent over and 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 right in the by the sensor board. Oh, that was weird. Okay, but the final and most infamous is the nosebleed. Which, if you're one of those poor unfortunate souls to get it, I'm sorry. But yes, some people's noses do bleed when they get horny or sense something hot. And this has been adapted by anime and obviously turned up to 11, where the higher pressure, more blood, the hornier. And all these tropes I just listed? Yeah, sometimes you can find them all together in the same scene at the same time. It is a little funny, but it is also a little dumb. Alright, and the last group will be tropes meant for plot convenience to demonstrate plot stuff. Also, I'm uh, just now hitting the halfway of one of my scripts. Woo! Oh, boy. Our last group would be tropes meant for plot convenience or to demonstrate plot stuff. Uh, first is bento, which is essentially lunchboxes. Uh, one that I would probably cry if my girlfriend made for me. So, you know, it's vaguely sappy. Uh, bentos are meant to harken back to traditional gender roles and imply a romantic connection between two characters. Like if a femme character gives a bento to a mask one, uh, particularly one uh, she made herself and filled it with cute little animal shapes, uh, it's meant to be a not-so-subtle implication of dedication, love, and marriage. And in some particularly woke anime, it happens the other way too, which also, I will say, if I could cook, I'd be making my girlfriend bentos. Cause I think it's adorable. Um, sorry, I miss her. I'm very uh, sappy. And um, I'm very tired. I've been working on this uh, for six days. Five days, six days. Broken up uh, basically just by work and migraines. Um, <laughs> and trying to get a new phone. Also, uh, sharing a bento box is a huge step in a relationship. Um, Another romantic one would be the use of the kimono and yukata, uh, meant to represent ideal Japanese femininity. Basically, when a woman wears one around someone that they feel romantic towards, they want their target to see them as an ideal woman. And as you can imagine, they show up in a lot of romance animes at the climax, Um, this one shouldn't much of a surprise if you've watched some well-written animes, because they'll basically spell it out to you without ever really saying it. Um, Then you have freeze frames, which are meant to highlight the drama or importance of a scene, which is another example of saving costs while having high high impact. Uh, Same with the oars, being when a character is on hands and knees in defeat to represent them being at their literal lowest. And related to that is the dull or empty eyes, which is basically any version of uh, Homey Ain't Home right now, uh, including being so upset they've intentionally disassociated not smacked the shit out of someone, being traumatized, brainwashed, fucking insane, in a coma, or dead. So in one way or another, not doing very well right now. Okay, and now we have the final grouping. See why this episode has taken so fucking long now? We are on page 12 and still talking about the tropes. We have the history applications in the soapbox to get to still. Okay, yeah, but these ones are plot beats. Uh, plot beat tropes are things that love anime follow for, say it with me, convenience. Because as we've discussed with most of these other tropes, if you have limited time to tell your story and don't want your entire art team to start jumping out of windows, you need to have some corners to cut. Uh, and these make it a lot easier. So following off the tail of the last set of tropes, we're going to start with the romantic ones. So the first is the indirect kiss. Which, in the West, at least from my experience, being a very horny teenager surrounded by very other, surrounded by other very horny teenagers, when I was a teenager, uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, because when I was growing up, you weren't really considered to have made out with someone until you either tasted their tonsils or felt a boob. Uh, but for people who are more sexually repressed, an indirect kiss uh, is when a character has something like food or drink in their mouth, and someone else eats or drinks. Off of it right after them Uh, in general if done hetero style uh, this is supposed to mean they're heading towards a full-on kiss the other romantic one being an interrupted confession of love or a moment of sweetness and this one serves a dual purpose so for one it stretches the plot's runtime because really when you think about it if a lot of anime plots happen to the real world uh, there really shouldn't be a reason for them to be so long I mean, let me let me use my really easy example of uh, Tomo-chan as a girl, and yes, every time anime comes up, I will continue to reference this one because I I love it. It's good. It's like the the good kind of like sickly sweet. Um, with the beginning of the show being a failed confession, given that these two are childhood friends, I don't see it out of the realm of reality that instead of just being sulky and weird about it, that Tomo would clarify. Or since June already fucking basically ran away and she's faster than him, maybe like try catching up to him. But I mean, of course, that's from a Western mindset. Uh, seeing this, seeing this is just a way to manufacture some tension and stretch the plot. But it's different from a Japanese perspective, because keep in mind, Japan is a different culture. I a mean, wild fucking revelation, huh? But Japanese culture is a lot more emotionally repressive than here in the West. Added to that, a lot of these sappier emotions like vulnerability, do, and love, disgusting, aren't seen as very important. Which means that since it's harder to be emotive or feel comfortable expressing how you feel, it's a lot easier for something to quote-unquote come up that lets you back out into your comfort zone or ruins the perfect moment. Which makes this trope instantly relatable to the target Japanese audience. Uh, Now we have tropes that are meant to make things run smoothly which is arguably the point of all tropes, uh, but these ones in particular serve primarily that purpose. So first is the filler episode, which is an episode where either nothing plot-relevant happens or literally nothing at all happens. And for most people, including me, this is some goddamn bullshit. Because we want to see the story progress and characters grow. However, filler episodes do serve a purpose. Primarily, that purpose is meant to lengthen the anime while waiting for the next issue of the manga to come out to adapt, or to give them time to work on either the current anime or other animes the production company is doing. Also, filler arcs can provide some benefit in the audience. Yes, much like your vegetables, it sucks to eat it, but you need to. Like if the series just went through a very emotional period, having a filler arc can help you wind down and process that a bit. They can also give you some additional time for your characters to grow on your audience. Next are high school settings, which is really, really common. And the reason why is because the creators of both the manga and the anime know their audience. They know that most of their audience will either still be in high school or are currently getting out of school. Which means it's a very relatable setting that their audience will be more willing to engage with. Also, this is a really dramatic part of everyone's life, and is, let's be real, traumatic for most of us. Which means that's instantly understandable for basically everyone, and we will answer all the usual questions like, why won't they leave, and why do they have to put up with this shit? Then there's the emotional flashbacks during big moments. And this is to expose it, give big reveals, remind us of stuff we probably forgot, reveal twists, and introduce new characters that's a secret tool to be used when we come back to the present. Now, this is usually just to reveal some kind of twist or make the character's death a lot more painful and impactful. Uh, it can also add some personality to your story and serve to explain a of sex machina. Like, if you just had a random big-titty ninja waifu jump in from nowhere, stab a dude, throw a shuriken, go into her final kitsune nine-tailed, totally naked for power-scaling reasons form, and then tuck the wounded main character into her boob window and escape, your audience has no idea what the fuck you just did. But if you intercut the main character accepting their death with fadeaways of childhood friend that always looked out for them and was really good at acrobatics, who disappeared as a teenager and wondering what happened to them before the titty ninja jumps in, well now that's a satisfying payoff to make the shippers froth of the mouth and leak in the pants. And finally, we have Expositional Monologues. uh, Which is when a character asks, Hey, what's up with that dude? And their mentor goes into a 25-minute long speech telling you all about world history. And the reason for this is because things get really convoluted and interconnected, and really fucking weird in anime, and a lot of characters can easily get confused or flow together when you don't know much about them, or It's been a while since you saw them last. Also, most anime have some pretty deep backstory that they can't really explain without it being kind of clunky. So the best that they can do is have expositional monologues, which, to be fair, is a bit of a crutch. Uh, But at the same time, it's kind of the best way to introduce these things. Alright, now we get into the uh, misogynistic ones. Because anime, if... Outsiders know anything about it, so it's really fucking gross to women. Uh, I'd say that I'm joking, but that's not the case. Uh, The first of these tropes I'm going to cover, because it usually happens in this exact order, is the male antagonist wanting to fuck the ever-loving shit out of the female protagonist. Which I'm going to say is a mixed bag of a trope. Because on one hand, there are a lot of animes that appeal to a female audience that do this as a lesson. That yes, sometimes the bad boy with hot anime hair and a dark trouble past likes you too. But that he's also a big piece of shit and will abuse you and cause you a whole lot of pain. Which, hey, that's a good lesson to learn. Also, ladies who are chasing a piece of shit bad boy, nine times out of ten he is going to hurt you. Badly. You cannot fix him. Let me repeat that. You cannot fix him. He is a piece of shit. He will hurt you and cause you problems. I'm not even going to say 9 out of 10 times. I'm going to say it 999 times out of 1,000. And let me just break it to you now. Your love is not the unique number 1,000. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth because you need to, you need the pain now to avoid the pain later. This is this is tough love at an intervention. Break break up with Kyle right now. He's bad for you. Uh <laughs> Uh anyways, on the other hand, uh and the other side of this mixed bag of these nuts, uh is that this is sometimes a bad boy fantasy. That yes, impressionable young thirteen year old girl with complicated feelings you've never had before and horm- and hormones sloshing around your brain. That twenty-two-year-old psychopath that cooks meth in mom's basement and has been known to Shane Dawson cats, who hangs out five hundred yards away from your school, is totally fixable. Now, obviously, that's an exaggeration, but sometimes uh, this trope is a really bad influence because young women and girls that watch the show get influenced by the whole bad boy turns good by love trope. When the story is meant to appeal to a male audience, however, it's usually bad, but can thread the needle and have a positive outcome? Uh, that pal- the positive outcome being a redemption arc, where the bad guy realizes the error of their ways and uses love as a guiding light to be a better person. However, usually what it appeals to isn't that. One option is that it can be appealing to the, the admittedly, Uh, Toxically masculine desire To be a terrible fucking monster Everyone is afraid of And that you will kill anyone That comes near you instantly Except for that one person That is okay To be near you Who will immediately soften your heart And treat you with the love and respect That you deserve And you will treat them with the love and respect That they deserve in return uh, And be mushy around them And also if anything happened to them you would kill an entire city and then kill yourself. And that, that That's like a normal thing to feel, right? Right, guys? You guys are with me on that? Right? Yeah. Uh, the other thing you can do is make your male audience hate the antagonist. Because how dare this fucking Brossif crawl into her life and try to steal our woman How dare he try to fuck our waifu her best friend? How dare he try to do some fucked up shit to our sister or cousin or mom or aunt? You know, like stick his penis in her. And these can both increase investment, but on a personal, moral level, I think it's a bit fucked up. Because these aren't really things we should be trying to poke at or trying to like provoke In people, men are not doing okay, as is. We really don't need to do that. Um, The second trope is weak female characters. Because here's the deal. Unless it's shoujo or another female-focused show, a lot of times the creators assume that their audience wants some fap and waifu material, meaning that since a lot of the world is still gripped by the pussy by patriarchy, the producers of anime can get away with, and often accidentally, to be fair to them, but sometimes on purpose, Uh, create weak female characters because their audiences won't complain about it. Also, because in Japan, women are expected to be soft and gentle, a lot of the female characters in anime you're supposed to like are similarly soft and gentle, and that that tends to make them a little weaker on the power scale. This combo leads to our third trait, damseling. It is very, very common in anime to damsel a female character. And... While, yes, it's been getting better in general, and anime has a lot more badass and empowered female characters, this still happens a lot, largely because of the whole patriarchy thing. Uh, However, it does act as a really good motivator for otherwise lazy and stupid protagonists to get their shit together to save their friend. Um, Or to show that they're a good person as they jump in to save a woman in distress who otherwise seems like she can't really do a whole lot to help them in return. Um, and then also them not being weird and sexual about it. Uh, and finally are all the fighting tropes. First, I think most egregious, is quickly mastering a hard skill or power. Especially under duress. Uh, this is especially common in shonen, where a character basically unlocks, masters, has an epiphany, or otherwise discovers some incredible power they didn't know they had before, or way faster than they should be able to. And generally I see this mostly as bad writing, because... Rarely are we told about it beforehand, or is it properly introduced. And oftentimes, when it is introduced beforehand, rarely are they given the proper introduction, and usually just forgotten, until we get reminded that the hero is about to uh, fast-track an education by getting the shit kicked out of them. And this is, in general, a shorthand for a character finding hidden hidden potential due to stress. Which is something that happens in the real world. But in the real world, or even a believable world, when you're getting your sh- when you're getting your shit pushed in the wrong way, you don't suddenly focus up and learn real good kung fu and the ability to make your hair spiky and gold. Your body just turns off limiters that stop you from ripping the muscles off of your bones. Yeah, that's your body's hidden potential, permanent muscular damage, uh, and it's basically just to beat your audience's expectations. Next are kids or teenagers beating adults at things. Because, let's face it, children are weaklings and are fucking idiots. In the real world, they don't have the experience, knowledge, physical development, or deep well of rage that adulthood gives you. You know, from paying bills and taxes and also getting paid like shit and having to struggle every month despite the fact that you, uh, break your back every day at work. Uh, yeah, they don't have that well of rage. (laughs) Uh, they... Uh, they don't have that well of rage, even compared to someone in their mid-twenties, like me. Uh, And yet, in anime, kids are better at things than adults. Why? Well, because anime is largely made for the young. So, obviously, the young kids are going to be badasses. Because it's the same reason why most protagonists in anime are young men just starting their lives and careers, or are high school students. It's very relatable, and feels good to see these pathetic little idiots feel like that they can be better than their betters. They can't, by the way. This is an advertisement to bully children, especially if you're in your 40s and they work at a Dairy Queen. Anyways, transformation sequences. You know those times in animes where some hype-as-fuck music starts to play, someone goes in the weird abstract background, and then their clothes rip off and they're wearing a weird costume now? Yeah, those. And these largely exist because hey, they're a great chance to show off your uh, costume design and animation skills outside of the normal flow of time. And they can also save time and some face by removing the awkward suiting-up scene or sequence and saves the animation costs on that. Uh, also can save some of the logistical overhead of like, hey, how get, how they get these uh, skin-tight rubber suits on? You can hand wave it by just having a flash of light. Uh... <laughs> Um, and these scenes, I'll say right now as an anime watcher that hates anime, are hype as fuck. Look, bet your ass that if you include one of these, or well, your nerdy-ass viewers is going to stand up for their gooning chair on shaky, atrophied legs, throw their arms to the sky in the closest thing they've had to a workout since 2007, and scream in excitement when they see this. Even I, a stoic badass with legs like Adonis, fuck the Redwood, and arms like King Kong, will pump my fist to this, and subsequently destroy a city block. Then there's the arc-long or multi-episode fights, which are very common, and unlike most people, I don't really mind this one. At least when there's actual content to be had. And you know, while it got popular from characters just standing around not doing anything for episodes at a time just giving each other fuck-me-eyes with bad-ass music playing in the background, I think it can still work. So, to show exasperatingly long conflicts, like this episode, damage and exhaustion over time, like this episode, uh, give epic battles an actual room to breathe and be filler. Because animation is expensive as fuck, and you gotta make sure the manga has time to come out so your show doesn't have too many stalls. This can also be very dramatic and be a good place to have lots of emotional spikes and drops making the audience just as exhausted as the characters are. And I think that both Jujutsu Kaisen uh, Shibuya arc at the end of every My Hero season do really good jobs at this. Then we have the ones I'm going to roll all together, uh, shouting attack names and talking during a fight. Uh, and both of these are to help inform you. because. With mid-fight conversations, it lets them move the story through dialogue while giving you something fucking awesome to look at that's not just two dudes chilling in a room talking about politics. Uh, And by shouting an attack name, it informs you of what the fuck is up when this particular animation plays. It also tells you when an attack is coming and help differentiate similar attacks. And it's also a hype thing again. Uh, If you couldn't tell, fighting animes are very hype. Especially ones with transformations. Okay. But with that, we are going to stop with the tropes. There's literally dozens more, if not hundreds. But this is a very long script, and we still have three sections to go. So, let's go to the history. Well, holy shit. Uh, Alright, we are starting off in 1907 with the invention of anime. Maybe. See, the first animation to ever come out of Japan might have been Katsudo Shashin. Katsudo Shashin. Shasin. Shasen. Fuck! <laughs> might have been Katsudo Sashin, a four second long clip that was recovered in 2005. And it shows a young boy in sailor's uniform writing Katsudo Sashin on a whiteboard Which is controversial because this is still Really early For animation much less for Japan Because film was still new And hard to get there And the idea of animating something wasn't really a thought At the time I mind it could be true because animation was officially Invented a year later um, And it wouldn't put it past me that like Some white dude was like Well no A white man has to do it first for it to be invented um, however in 1910 We have evidence of animation reaching Japan But we're not entirely sure what it was Just that we have records of it being there uh, Two years later uh, Nipparu's transformation is created The first Japanese made animation We can prove for certain happened But we don't have it We also don't know what it contained uh, In 1914 As cartoons from the US and Europe Or in the fathers of anime uh, Junichi Kaushi Junichi Kaushi and Satoru Kiriyama uh, become inspired to start animating. Uh, Junichi Koushi, Juni- fucking, mm, my brain is like, mm, that rhymes. Uh, Junichi, Junichi Junichi is starting to sound like not a word. Junichi uh, Kaushi, a character, a character, characterist, fuck me and painter uh, began as an animator at Kobayashi Shokai uh, and was considered one of the most advanced animators on a technical side at the time and made a total of 15 movies before retiring Uh, Saitaro Sitaro Sitaro Kitayama meanwhile uh, begins to do animations and found a company by 1921 in 1917, what may well be the first anime ever created, The Dull Sword, is released on June 30th. But we're not entirely sure if it's actually the first, it's just the only one we have evidence of. Uh, however, we also have Bumpy's new picture book, Failure of a Great Plan, made on f- made in February, and at least two others made in January at some point, but we can't find them. Uh, Aten Shimokawa, In the same year, another characterist and cartoonist began to make animations with Tenkatsu. Um, However, he only ever made five movies, including the story of the concierge uh, Uzoko Imokawa, uh, which we only have a single still from. The rest of that movie is entirely lost. In the 1920s, the animation industry in Japan begins to die as an influx of foreign companies begin to dominate the industry, which sounds like just the modern history of Japan again. Uh, Companies like Disney could very quickly and cheaply produce things in Japan, and with how expensive celluloid was, Japanese companies couldn't buy the the necessary supplies, and so relied on cutouts, which looked a lot worse and had limited mobility. However, they started to be able to work wonders with it, Almost entirely killing the industry would be the 1923 Great Kanto Earthquake, which destroyed most of the Japanese animation, film, and records. Which is why we know jack shit about this early era. Into the 1930s, the animation industry in Japan becomes heavily dependent on sponsors, very much like modern content creators. Much like them, it's because it's very expensive commercially and wasn't making much. That combined with fighting industry giants like Disney made it almost impossible to make any form of animation. Man, really sounds like history repeating itself. I hope this next part isn't. Uh, So most of what they made were things like PR films, educational videos, propaganda, and training tapes. In 1933, the first Taki anime was made by Kenzo uh, Masaoka uh, called, oh boy, Chikara... Chikara, my eyes crossed for a second, <laughs> Chikara to Ona no yo no yaka, Whew. sorry, I don't speak Japanese, uh, after this, given that the industry was supported by sponsors and the Japanese government was doing a fascism, uh, the government paid a ton to make the animation industry into a propaganda machine to enforce cultural nationalism, which just so happened to kill off their main competition, foreign animation. And this Wambo combo made Japanese animation a massive industry and aided in the massive spike in the Japanese spirits and continued to pay through World War II for the industry. And the government continued to pay through World War II for the industry to depict Japan as the Chad. As Sun Tzu said, depict your anime as the Soyjack. Jack. Uh, in 1934, we have the first cell anime as well. The Dance of the Chagamas. And with the government footing the bill, but seo was able to create the first anime with a multiplane camera, Ari-chan, and multiplane just means having multiple layers, usually like a background and a foreground. Uh, jumping forward to 1945, after getting its bowels emptied by the U.S. and Soviet Union the hard way, uh, instead of raising Japan to the ground, the Allies split part of the world and the Axis nations, promising to help them rebuild. And with the U.S. occupying Japan and having its own strong animation industry, we allowed theirs to persist as long as they didn't discuss the war crimes we absolutely committed during World War II. Everyone committed war crimes during the war. Don't say or let anyone tell you different. It's the truth. And throughout the 1940s, uh, anime and manga flourished, and eventually it became a thriving industry, influenced by foreign film but distinctly Japanese. Uh, into the 50s, anime studios started to pop up all over Japan. Uh, with one of the most prominent being Toye Doga, uh, which was purchased and then named by Hiroshi Takahata um, with the intent to become the Disney of the East. Also, animators start to experiment with Western animation styles, and Shonen and Shoujo is created from the same source. Knight of the Ribbon, or later, Princess Knight, created by Tezuka Osamu. And in 1958, uh, Tohai Animation and Mushi Production produces the first color anime, Haku Jin, or Tale of the White Serpent, which caused Tohai to start making a full-length movie every year. Into the 1960s, popular animes like Astro Boy and Magic Boy create the distinctive anime style, and anime starts to become popular in the U.S., and quickly, adult anime, both porn and not, begins to be created. And Chojo and magical girl anime begins, as well as the original Speed Racer. Uh, in 1968, Prince Horace of the Sun is released, which is a major and massive break in the anime style and creates the genre of progressive anime, which Miyazaki is part of. Between the 1960s and 80s, Tohai develops the money shot, which no, is not what you think it is at least not specifically, uh, instead is a highly detailed set of frames uh, and for important shots, while simplifying everything else in the background, which made animation a lot cheaper and easier without a noticeable, noticeable dip in quality. In the 1970s, anime, despite struggling a bit in Japan, becomes a phenomenon internationally. Characters like Lupin the Third become big, and due to experimenting with new... Story concepts, things like mecha anime, anime based on European myth, and dramas start being created. And into the 80s, Tohai, I pronounce that differently every time, uh, would work alongside Marvel, DC, Sunbow, Hanna-Barbera, and other Western animation companies. Also in the 80s, due to the success, a visual quality renewal begins. Anime also becomes more complex and focuses more and more on bigger and more complex themes. This is also when space operas become massively popular, largely because of Star Wars. Uh, anime uh, also gets a lot of respect in the 80s, including things like Kiki's Delivery Service being the number one grossing film in 1989 and the creation of anime adaptations of popular games and books. Uh, also, Shonen becomes a big deal during this time too in 1980, Also, Shonen becomes a big deal during this time too. In 1985, Studio Ghibli is founded and in 1988, Akira is released and causes a massive explosion of anime fandom worldwide despite failing at home. In the 90s and aughts, due to the rising popularity of anime, combined with the early internet, the anime and Weeb communities are founded internationally. Much to the combined pleasure, discomfort, disgust, and joy of anime creators. Which I think is really fucking funny to see, by the way. Like, just an old Japanese man with a love for animation, sitting between two cosplayers of his characters with a look of. I shouldn't be proud of this, but here I am, plastered across his face, and is clearly retroactively regretting and also loving the costume design having this much cleavage. Uh, but during the 90s and 2000s, also like generally uncomfortable, like, hmm, I'm not sure if I'm okay with how loud these white people are. <laughs> Which I think is fair. Uh, but during the 90s and 2000s, anime also starts to get the recognition it deserves, um, being seen as an art form on par with other animation styles, despite popular perceptions still labeling it as weird. Which I will say, I think that's fair. Anime is very weird. Uh, Into the 2010s and 2020s, anime is more popular than it has ever been, with a combination of the internet, weebs becoming adults with time and money, uh, hot people getting into anime, uh, nerddom in general being popular, uh, childhood memories from things like Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon, and the most recent, the Pandemic, anime has become extremely big and popular. (laughs) And with that, let's go to the applications. (laughs) Holy fuck, long episode, huh? Well, don't worry, we're just going to talk about the applications here and use some examples for you. So with all these tropes, if you're in a position to use them, i.e. you're making anime, uh, call me please, I have a lot of ideas. Also, like, I would fucking love to be in some way helpful to anime production. Uh, then you need to really deeply consider each of them. Because they can be really annoying and actually slow things down quite a bit, if overused. In particular, if you overfill shots in your storyline with all this shit, So instead, pick what tropes you think work best for the situation. And it's good too if you're trying to be a bit more responsible with your use of tropes or know where they come from and why they're still used. You know, so you can avoid the ones steeped in misogyny, racism, or just weird and won't make sense for your cultural perspective. Or on the more positive note, it helps you narrow down which things are the best fit for the moment. Also, it's the same if you parody it make it something real in-world, or invert the trope in some way. Basically, don't just grab them all because that's complicated and difficult and will piss off the nerds. Instead, grab the ones you need and like and use them to add some intrigue or humor to your story instead of making people realize that you're doing the exact same anime over again. Anime is really tropey and full of references, so it's okay to do them. Just do them well and it'll be fine. Speaking of which, Let's do that with three of them as examples. And this is going to be taking the trope seriously and then inverting it. So the first one I want to do is the transformation sequence. And mine, I'm not a full-on artist. I'm a writer, not a drawer. So this is mostly going to be from a story perspective. And in general, a transformation sequence works best when it's rare. So if you're going to take this trope seriously, maybe have the character or character type that transforms do it once early on in the show and demonstrate what it's capable of. Use that as, a, as an excuse to talk about it and introduce a limiting factor to it. I wouldn't go with something with limited uses or being a superpowered evil side, but instead make it a massive drain on the character in question. Maybe it knocks them the fuck out for a long time, or such an emotional drain they become a fuckhead for weeks after the fact. Alternatively, maybe it just sucks to be in this form, or it's something they'll only ever use for emergencies. Regardless, if it's rare and powerful and sick as fuck, your audience will love it every time it shows up. Make sure to use it when it makes sense. Is a character they love in Jeopardy and is at risk of death? Then it's power-up time, probably with a sad version of their theme. Okay, and if you want to invert it, Well, I think the best way to invert this trope is still make it cool and a real problem-solver and ass-kicker. But then, the most savage, barbaric, or powerful of enemies can interrupt it. Imagine the fear in some circumstances, and the comedy in every other circumstance, of the crazy cool transformation sequence suddenly getting interrupted with a people's elbow to the cranium from the big bed. Or their buddy jumping in and telling them to knock it off and they don't need a transformation to do the dishes. The second is the exploding clothes stroke because I'm me. This one is actually fairly to use in either direction, because if you think, because if you take it seriously, I think the best way to use this stroke fairly is to have equal opportunity. So if you're going to be horny about it and have a big fucking tentacle monster rip apart a female character's clothes because you want to imply titties, you better have the hunky man's clothing get motherfucking Shrek'd. That way you can, at the very least, feel the same discomfort that your female audience will. Alternatively, give your audience that are attracted to men something to nut to. And also, hey, anime creators, add more fanboys. That's just a general one from one horny nerd to another. In a fighting sense, let everyone's clothes fly off and get shredded as their powers increase and they fight. For the same reasons, yes, but it'll add some context to the damage and show progression across the fight. But if you're going to invert this trope, it'd probably be for comedy. And it's simple. Make it something weird in universe, like when someone's clothes come blasting off their body. Have everyone else nearby ask the very clear, "Yo, yeah, what the fuck were you wearing? Or how did that happen?" Because the human body should not be capable of flexing so goddamn hard that woven fibers turn to ashes. And finally, is the generic protagonist. I think. This one might be one of the more egregious tropes we talked about that wasn't just straight up something probably racist or sexist. I think that has its place, but how do you make it interesting? Well, taking it at face value, that this guy is boring as shit, very basic, and generally not good at all with this weird and wacky hero shit everyone else seems to be good at. Instead of giving them one particular power that makes them better than everyone else, give them something that no one else needed the ability to improve. Show them getting better things and more confident throughout the show, with maybe the final fight being them implementing everything their friends and allies felt pity enough to teach them and skills they figured out for themselves. Make them boring, sure, but determined make them boring, sure, but determined and ready to fail and try again. Because remember, your audience is putting themselves in their shoes because they're relatable and are the focus character. So the best way to learn So the best way to lean in is to make them an inspiration. On the other hand, if you're going to invert the trope, make the character look harmless and generic. Have them portray a basic bitch personality and use pretty shitty, and be usually pretty shitty at things. And suddenly, during a moment of crisis, you reveal that they've actually known the entire time what is up and that they've been the most capable person in the group. Now, is is this going to take people out of it? Maybe. But a lot of us who feel really basic and generic also feel like we have this hidden badass talent we're waiting for the right moment to reveal. It's cool and inspiring. And then have the payoff be humility or kindness or being kind of shy. Make it something human. They're not hiding because it's some genius-level strategic ploy to be 12 steps ahead of all enemies at all times. It's because he's nervous around people and didn't know how to bring it up also didn't want the attention because he'd say something stupid, or just legit thinks that what he did isn't impressive and pokes holes in their own form, or assumes that someone else probably had a better idea and he ruined their idea. And you can have a relatable and seemingly basic character with unrelatable levels of power. But uh, yeah, with that, let's go to the soapbox. Well, when I first embarked on this epic journey across the internet and in empty bottles of headache medicine, caffeine, and deadline-missing stress, I assumed that I'd come out on the other side more annoyed to animate tropes than before. But that's actually not the case. Now that I understand why these tropes exist, mostly to make the process of animating easier and quicker and convey more information than you can normally do, even in a visual medium, it's all starting to click for me. I thought coming in that would just be like a tradition of the style that comes with the territory because you're expected to include these tropes. But they actually have good reason behind them. There's a lot of story you can tell and well-applied tropes to a single frame of animation. Protagonist with spiky blue hair and a deep voice standing across in a similarly deep voice antagonist with a may cut set of purple hair and lightning across the screen and in their eyes? That says everything you need to know to understand What this show is about to be about. A character with flowers floating around behind them in a pink void full of nothing but light and cherry blossoms? Bet your ass they're swooning. I respect the game a lot more. Especially because I also know that a lot of these tropes to save time and money came under duress. Much of the animation industry, in Japan especially, is exploitative. In Japan, many animators are junior workers with very little voice, even less power, and significantly less than that money. They're paid table scraps for each frame of animation completed. Most of them make less than the equivalent of 5 bucks an hour. So of course, you need to find ways to animate quickly and efficiently. Also, the turnaround and deadlines on these are incredibly tight, being able to produce 12 episodes in a year. That's about 415,000 frames. while animation, and while anime is very rarely drawn by hand these days, that's still a lot of work to do for such a short time period. And this isn't just animation, it's writing and interpreting the manga to a new medium. It's waiting for the manga to come in, it's making changes and cuts, adding scenes for context, removing arcs, editing, coloring, testing, all in about a month per episode. So I don't mind a lot of these tropes now. Will I bitch and complain about them still? Yes, I'm a bitch. Will I continue to watch anime even though I know how the sausage is made? Yes, because I'm a hypocrite. And I like anime. It's part of my childhood, my adolescence, my early young adulthood. It's a big thing me and my buddies used to hang out and watch. It's something I used to watch with my dad. I used to watch Yu-Gi-Oh! with my dad. And now it's a part of my love life as well. My girlfriend is a huge anime fan. So this episode is to help you understand why anime is the way that it is, but it's also for me. Because if I didn't learn, I'd eventually grow to hate anime with a fiery passion, which would absolutely cause some problems and turn all of those memories into shit. So yeah. Let's conclude. Oh. all over your face and chest god damn that was a very long episode also a very late one uh sorry about that but uh at least the episode's available now that makes it up right anyways uh, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast feed like it leave a review whatever else it is you can do on your platform of choice send me an email at, at gmail.com that's w a y t a t p o d s at gmail.com with questions cons- with questions concerns opinions compliments insults i'm actually Tropes I missed, weep, rage, and anything else you want to tell me. Also, follow me on Twitter at Waitat underscore pods. Or check out my other podcast, Waitat. We're talking about other topics. They're usually a bit more on time. All right. Have a good night. Have fun. Keep writing. And remember, God is dead and anime killed him. This has been Why Are You Talking About This Nerd. I've been your host, William. Good night. Shit, I'm tired.